Welcome back to Girls Talk Ag Podcast. Uh, plowing through the manure online. Um, this week, we're really excited. Um, like, literally, we've done three or four outlines about this, which is a big deal. I never even did that when I was in college. Um, and we figured it's time for us to dive in. So we're, we titled this week's podcast, G-M-O-M-G. Uh, get it? I'm really excited about it. G-M-O-M-G, GMOs. So I think it's brilliant. Um, I came up with it like in a dream. It was amazing. Um, so I, I heard this quote and I think it's, it's, it's just vital to include into this conversation as we get going. Um, when you have food, you have one problem, right? Or when you have no food, you have one problem. Uh, when you have food, you have thousands of problems. And so right now, um, here in society, here in America, here in the, the cultured world, I guess you could say, uh, there is an extreme conversation right now about GMOs, uh, organic, not, you know, everyone wants to embrace the non-GMO thing, all of this stuff. So we figured this week we got Karen, our resident expert on all things GMO, uh, Jen, who has also is far more of an expert than I am oh. on all things GMO. No. The, the bar is not that high, Jen. I okay. don't know. I'm only um, an expert if whoever is listening is more than 50 miles away. There you go. Well, see? So we'll just make sure if you're closer to Karen than 50 miles away, don't listen to her because we are further than 50 miles away. So Jen and I are very smart uh, and we're the experts. So that's why we did the three of us at different, you know, locations, I guess. Three different so, I states. We know it all. Three, yeah, but I'm from the mitten. So no, yeah, but you're in Iowa, so you've absorbed it. I, it, it is in the water. Just you're ask a the, transplant. Right. The <laughs> The Des Moines Waterworks. They'll tell you something's wrong, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's I, I don't know. If, yeah. Um, so like I said, this week we're going to talk about GMOs and and we're really pumped. Um, the first thing I want to talk about or the first thing that I want to get in into, because I think there's a massive amount of confusion, um, is what exactly is a GMO? Um, and Karen, you know, kind of tell us how, what it is and, uh, how many are out there. Cause I think the, the biggest thing in society right now is the, the confusion or the thought that GMOs are, are literally lurking around the corner, ready to attack us, uh, at any given moment. Right. There's a lot of non-GMO labels out there, which kind of makes people think there's a lot of GMOs, but there really aren't. Uh, first of all, a GMO is basically... A genetically modified organism. So somehow people had to intervene to make that product, that crop, what it is today. Now we've obviously been, you know, transforming and modifying crops for thousands of years, but the traditional methods aren't normally are not considered to be a part of the GMO. So right now we're looking at about ten crops that are that could possibly be GMO. So we have alfalfa, and then we have field and sweet corn, canola, cotton, which I hope nobody's eaten cotton, but if you do. Or uh, more likely that the dairy cows are eating the cotton seeds. But we also have papaya and squash, which, bleh, anyway. <laughs> and then uh, soybeans and sugar beets. And then new, this within the last month, both the Arctic apple and the innate two potato have both been approved. So we should see more of those on the market in the next 12 months. So now that they've been approved, how soon will they be on the market? I mean, like, are there, like... Apples obviously come off in the summer, so do we have apples that are ready to go into the food system? 
I believe there is a small portion and they're going to use a target market in in different cities to bring the Arctic apple out. But it'll take a while because apples, you know, take a long time before they actually produce fruit. So it'll take a while for that to really build up so that you before you see it in every grocery store. And what about potatoes? Same way. Um, That one, I'm not sure. I didn't see any as far as the rollout for when that was. But the innate two potato really just got approved like two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, it was a it was a quick approval. I know uh I spoke for Simplot uh three or three, four years ago, and they were ready to rock and roll with it as quickly as they were able to, but you've gotta produce like with the potato, you've gotta produce a seed potato crop first and then you can plant. So they may have the seed potato ready to go, but it's it's not as long as an apple, but it it'll still take, I would imagine, a year or two to to see it hit commercial markets. So that that brings me to another question then, and I know enough to be dangerous. Like, I'm not sure where the anti... Let's see. No, I do know. It was they toned down genes, right? So that the apple wouldn't brown. Um, right. I did they, read that. they mapped the apple genome and they um, found the four genes that are responsible for browning. And then they manipulated those genes so that it would turn off that the gas producer that browns them. Yes. Okay, so it's then gas. the potato, they took um, a gene from one kind of, one one like hybrid or one kind of potato and put it in another kind of potato. Is that right? Right. They took a potato variety from Argentina that um, did not brown uh-huh. or was, well, the innate potato has two things. First of all, it is resistant to late blight, which is what took out the Irish, you know, caused the Irish famine. And then it also doesn't brown just like the apple. So they manipulated two different ways, but I'm not sure exactly all of the specifics on that. So I can tell you coming from potato country, the amount of money and spray that goes because blight is a a fungus. Correct, Mm -hmm. Karen, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a it's a fungus, right? The it's, potato I mean, one, I'm not positive, but there are diff- there's bacterial blights and fungal blights. Yeah, it's this. Yeah, it's the same thing you'll see. Okay, so it's it's it, but it's nasty. It's a disease. And, yeah, and it'll it's it's it has resulted in a significant amount of of sprays being used to, in order to prevent um, the problem. So to me, anything that that can help prevent the late blight from a, a production standpoint without having to apply spray, in my opinion, is a, a heck of a lot better than the alternative. Well, so, it's definitely a lot easier to manage and less inputs. Yeah. Well, I read the other day um, on the internet because, well, the internet knows everything. Um, of course. That 40% of all apples are basically trashed because of superficial bruising and browning i mean 40% is a huge amount yeah yeah i think so how much food waste do you have with young children when you cut up an apple and you don't use it within 5 minutes or yeah you send them to school and they come home uneaten because they were yucky brown yeah the same with potatoes i mean that's so, I mean, the, yeah. the browning in the potato so then when you think about things that way it's like why are gmos so bad so i I don't know. Just me thinking out loud as a mom. Well, I agree. That's it's the same thing as the squash. Right? What were? Why is the squash? Because it's it's not. If I looked correctly, Karen, and I could have looked wrong, but the squash really isn't out there too much. There's only like two varieties of summer squash, right? But they aren't. 
is, Honestly, is not. I believe there are two GMO varieties of summer squash, but I won't eat it, so I didn't even bother to look at it. <laughs> I love your honesty. It doesn't matter whether it's GMO or not. It's not going to be in this house. That's, <laughs> there you go. So it, it works, and and that and that's the rest of the story. So, so really, you know, when it comes down to it, though, there's this wide definition of a GMO, um, it, but the reality is, is, is there's actually a very narrow, um, narrow window to hit the the quote unquote GMO to be a GMO for one, and for two, there's a very small supply of GMO availability. Other than the fact that you know you'll see it if if uh, your high fructose corn syrup, or in the case of sugar beets, your sugar um, or something of that nature, like your sweetener could could have some genetically modified um, components to it. Um, but those have already been processed correct like that's if you're trying to figure out how much gmo is in your diet it's all going to really depend on what your processed food level is well and i think that's the point i was getting to that i didn't quite make with the like the apple gene being turned down and the potato gene coming from another potato i mean most of the time to me, when I think GMOs, people and I've heard people say, "Well, you take a gene from something that doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing," you know, like a, I don't know, a strawberry gene into your, I don't know, your squash gene, and trying to mix them. That's not necessarily always the truth. Not, um, no, but you can say, I mean, right? But there are pluots, and there are other, there are cross species that have resulted yes. in new fruits. Thank you. See, you do know how to make me sound smart. Um, That's what we're here for, right? And so, you know, like the potato people, are like, oh, a GMO potato. Yeah, but but it is GMO, but it's part of the potato anyway. It's, it's just... still it's a potato into a potato. Yeah. And you know, people so... seem to think we take like salmon genes and put them into, you know, your strawberries like you were talking about. And that's just not what happens. Even in right. some of the other ones where they are genetically manipulated and a bacteria is used, sometimes that bacteria is just the carrier to put other genes into plants. Right. So well, it's I this... think there's just a lot of confusion about what GM you know, what really happens when a GMO comes to play. Right. What yeah. qualifies as a GMO? Um, because it, it sounds, I mean, genetically modified is very personal and it sounds human. So I think, yeah, I think it it's, just sounds it, scary. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that causes some concern is that people imagine this Franken food. They picture, um, you know, kind of what I picture when, when people talk about cloning animals or something you know what i mean like there's there's all of these levels of science that go along with creating something that will work um you know and and to kind of take your conversation and we'll talk about it a little bit more later too but um the using a a gene or or using a bacteria from something else to to help improve another crop is not is not a franken food i mean that's what they're doing with with the citrus greening you know is is using uh spinach i believe it is um it, it, spinach has these antioxidants and this ability to naturally fight bacteria and disease and they're putting it into orange trees and they've discovered that that's completely done away with with citrus greening or it allows the tree to to fight it um you know that there's nothing wrong, and 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 I think that's where people get confused. Is like what Jen, uh, Karen said. You know, are they putting taking salmon genes and putting them into my strawberry? That's that idea scares me, but that's not what's going on. 
I mean, I'm not now, not to it, say that there hasn't been some of that. I ex- say, in all reality, that did happen with tomatoes, but it was a research project that never made it anywhere. Um, it was like a whatever gene in a salmon keeps it from freezing. They put into a tomato so that it would could withstand frost. It didn't work, but but the the point is, I think, is that it takes years and years of things off the market and behind the scenes to be tried before we find them that works and are and are verified and you know approved by the USDA. And yeah. just because somebody is experimenting in a lab does not mean that it's right. ever going to end up that way in your in your grocery store. Right. Ex- exactly. And I think that's an important point to get across to anyone who's not in agriculture um you know we're Agriculture, I mean, look back at, at where we were in, in the 1900s when it came to, to crop production and the ability to, to feed people. Um, so we've always wanted to grow and develop and, and not just in agriculture in every sort of facet of our lives. We're constantly going to work towards finding that new invention that's going to improve our, our, our livelihood. Um, and so that's where the, the GMOs have come in is we have discovered ways to help wipe out these, these famine inducing issues that can help happen in food production. It basically, yeah. I mean, corn doesn't look like anything like it did thousands of years ago. And neither um, do no. bananas or watermelon. Right. And that's, that's a matter of breeding, which is, you know, GM is just taking that and making the process a little faster. Yeah. I mean, correct, Karen, are we... Is that right? Right, right. And it it involves, when you target specific genes, it has a lot less side effects than if you tried to, you know, like use traditional plant breeding, you can't always determine, you know, what other genes are going to come across and, and different things like that. So with the biotechnology and the genetic engineering, you can really, you know, focus in on exactly what it is you want to change and you can limit, you know, what those other side effects could be. Which I think so, is amazing. Yeah, oh, it's too. so funny. You know, we we don't er, the consumers generally don't like to see biotechnology or even technology within their food system, and yet they'll run out and spend a thousand dollars on the newest iPhone and not blink an eye. Oh, and so, nobody yeah. nobody wants medicine from you know. If you gave somebody a choice between medicine today and medicine from even 1950, they're yeah. going to choose the most advanced medicine. Well, I know the last time I was sick, I went to the doctor and asked to be leached. Right. That's they still do that, right? Where they put a bunch of leeches on you and suck right. out the poison. Right. You know, so that that's Ew. an important thing. <laughs> Actually, I think that's. I mean, that's really a great example. I mean, you know, you don't go and ask to be leached at the doctor. You want the most advanced, technologically advanced medicine you can get. I want amoxicillin for my kid if he has an ear infection. That's you right. You know, if if he's miserable, um, I'm I'm not going to put a blow dryer up against his head and you know, oh well, this old wives' tale told me, and I I think that's accurate. I and I think it's important to point out that the 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 reason behind the developing of GMOs is you know when you look at it and and uh, people kind of freak out a little bit. You know, more than ninety percent of all soybean, cotton, and corn acres in the U.S. are you know. GMOs, but that's that's been used because we've discovered ways to limit or reduce the amount of inputs. C- correct, Karen? I mean, I don't want to uh, date you 
at all or or be like, hey, you remember what it was like in food production in the 80s. But historically speaking, the amount of chemicals and and the 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 bite of the chemicals that we used prior to the introduction of Roundup in some ways um, was pretty extraordinary. I mean, I, I, I guess I grew up, you know, in the eighties on the potato farm and, um, you know, I can remember our, our chemical trailer had a skull and crossbones on it. Um, you know, and, and none of that is, is used in, in, or I, I would guess none of it, at least it's more contained than the trailer that we would play in as kids, which could explain a lot now, but I mean, Production is very different than what it was even 20 years ago. Correct. Right? There's, I mean, you know, the chemicals we're using today, I'm not going to say that we're using less because that's widely debated and hard to quantify. But Roundup in general, which we're talking about Roundup, it, Roundup when you say Roundup, it's kind of like Kleenex. You know, Kleenex is all facial tissue. Well, Roundup is all glyphosate. But I think the round, Roundup, you know, kind of is a term that's used a lot for a lot of GMOs, even if they're not Roundup. So that term's kind of getting generic, but round, the actual Roundup herbicide, I would say, is much, much safer than the majority of products that were used prior to its use on in-season crops. Which kind of takes me to the next question, because you brought up an important point by saying um, Roundup is like facial tissue, because we had a conversation leading into this, and um, the one thing we want as as your pals here at Girls Talk Egg, we don't want you to think that we just come into this being geniuses like we sound. We, I mean, we have conversations. And part of our outline is me saying Roundup production versus conventional versus organic. And me, the marketing gal, saying that blew the minds of the weed scientist and the amazing farming lady extraordinaire because when I say Roundup, I'm talking all um, GMO production. I'm including that Liberty Link, BT, all of that crap. And uh, Karen has been so kind as to correct me. But I thought it would be cool to kind of point out, you know, the the GMO uh, versus conventional versus organic. And uh, I'll let Karen correct my, my thought process again because I know I'm saying it wrong on that side. And I'll let her kind of explain that a bit for us. Right. So conventional versus organic is the actual system of how it's produced. And under conventional, you can have GMO versus non-GMO. Excuse me. I think I have some preschool cooties I caught this week. Um, (laughs) And so under the conventional, the GMO, particularly in in this area where we are in the I states, it would be, you know, Roundup Ready soybeans, Roundup Ready corn, BT or rootworm resistant corn, and also Liberty Link soybeans and then uh, the new dicamba resistant soybeans that will be grown this year. So there's there's all kind of it, it's really two separate debates, but it kind of gets all lumped in together under conventional most of the time. I think it does, too. I think that, you know, to me, conventional, you know, so on our farm, we are conventional farmers. Uh, but under that umbrella, we for years, we raised the Roundup Ready soybeans, um, but non GMO corn. Um, so that. Yeah, so, so sometimes when people say Roundup versus conventional versus organic, I think to me, I see it more conventional and organic. And then under sense. the conventional, you can have your GMO versus, or not versus, because it's not really a fight, but you know, you can have GMOs or non-GMOs and things like that. So Karen, with the organic production, 
um, correct one of our super fun fallacies that I have been told by many of my friends on Facebook or in the grocery store aisles, organic and chemical use. Right. Organic can mean that no chemicals were used, but it doesn't have to mean that. The USDA has a certification specifically for organic growers, and they do have a list of approved chemicals that they can use uh, to combat disease or um, insects and different things like that. But I always think, you know, kind of if you go to the local farmer's market and buy your fruits or vegetables from there, in a lot of cases, I'm guessing those do not have any pesticides on them whatsoever. But if you went to a box store, you know, and bought from a larger organic grower or even a larger organic company, then those are more likely that if they did use them, that it would be those types of farmers versus the small ones at your local market. So if I were to use, if I were to spray for bugs um, on my tomatoes, would that disqualify me from saying I'm organic or would it depend on what chemical I use? Well, you can't technically say you're organic unless you go through all the paperwork and get certified by the USDA. You don't now, know you me. Could, you, could, you could just say that I don't use any pesticides and this is what I have. I mean, I grow organically, but I'm not certified. You can do that, but technically you can't, um, you know, you can't put the USDA organic label on that. So I don't know anything about organics. Um but as far as the big words, herbicide and insecticide, um, are there organic approved, is that the right word? I'm not sure. Organic approved uh, herbicides and pesticides that are also used on the conventional side? I mean, is there overlap in those chemicals? Well, the one that I think sticks out towards me is the, the Bacillus thuringiensis, which is what they inserted into the corn to make it resistant. English. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the name of the bacteria. Okay. And it, they inserted, used it to insert into the corn plant insect resistance into the field corn. Now, That's your BT. Right. right. Your, now, oh. BT itself, and I would have to double check, but that used to be, you could use that as a foliar spray to combat insects in organic production. So, wow. okay. so, so from just from my pea brain here so you're telling me that i grow bt corn that simply has the same chemical in it not chemical in it because i don't want to say that because that's not the case so basically the bt corn has in it what organic can spray on it is that what you're telling me that's what I'm telling you, but let me look it up to make sure it's still approved. I that think way. you're right. I, I That's think how I it heard was that. approved, but I just want to double check and make sure it still is. That sound you're hearing is everyone's mind being blown right now. It, it really is. I mean, think about this. Think about my corn is being labeled as GM um, because it simply has this trait in it that. Is a bacteria. Is a bacteria correct? that isn't harmful to humans. But while mine already has that trait in it to fight that bacteria, they can label theirs organic, but they have to spray it on it. Did I say that right? Yeah, you said it right. As far as I understand what you're saying. So that's, and Karen right now is, 
She's asking the judges. She's asking the <laughs> the judges panel. The judges panel to see if your answer is correct. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy right now. Like that's I know. Do, 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 judges, do, is that correct? I heard the other day that one of the best ways to think about GMO, and it's it's a simplified way, and, and I realize that, but it made sense and clicked in my head was uh, the copy and paste function, like you do on your computer. Yeah. Like if you need a doc, if you have this document and it has like a really good phrase in it that I do that all the time. Yeah, that needs to be in this other document. And you're like, oh, man, that that will really that's good for this document. But but it's going to really help this document over here. Let's copy and paste it. That just really clicked in my brain. It makes sense to me. Easy. It's a simplified way. Did they take Karen in the back room and beat her? I, I am so. still trying to figure out if I can find this. Okay. I think she's been kidnapped by the okay. organic producers of the world. Well, I certainly don't want to be wrong and have them beating down my bo- door and, you know, having haters on Twitter here. Well, we'd oh, hate to have you mean tw- haters. haters. Right. BT proteins are allowed in organic farming as an insecticide because BT is a natural non-pathogenetic bacterium that is found naturally in the soil. Wow. Listen to that. Wow. So basically, awesome. yeah, we've copy and GMO has copy and pasted that into the corn as opposed to just sprinkling it on top. Right. The problem with the corn is that when you say it's insect resistant, people assume that you make the corn produce an insecticide. And that's not right. what happens. When you insert those genes, it makes the corn produce a certain protein that is then t- toxic to a specific set of pests. The way you think about it is, you know, you know, my dog can't eat chocolate, but I can. Right. Oh, great example. I can eat this or, you know, animals can eat this, this protein that's produced in plants, but this specific insect cannot. Oh my God. I'm in love with the chocolate and the dog, not the chocolate dog. I did not come up with that, so I won't take credit. Oh, well, you could have totally, because I totally bought it that you did that. That's a great example. Very, it's like the copy and paste. It's very relatable. Right. And so people, you know, just assume there's insecticide now being produced in these plants and that's just not how it is. And so that, you know, all goes back to the confusion, what's really going on out in the fields and then, you know, coming to our grocery stores. Man, I love that. Chocolate, copy and paste. It's like, the other favorite analogy I like is, uh, you know, there's a... People worry about pesticides and, you know, the plants, the plants metabolize pesticides like we, you know, metabolize alcohol a little bit. I, you know, after a couple, after a day or a few hours, you know, it wears off and I metabolize it and it's out of my system. But if I took too much of it, the alcohol could kill me. Well, it's the same way with the pesticides. The plants can take so much and they can metabolize it out. But there is a point where you could put too much on and and kill them too. So moderation. But but in that respect, just like you've killed the plant, then there's nothing from that plant to eat, so it's not getting into your system, into the food system. So that's a great analogy as well. And I won't it's, take credit for that one either. Oh, Karen, Karen, come on! That one I learned on Twitter. So. Oh wow! Well, you better give Twitter credit for that then. Yeah, I learn a lot of stuff on Twitter, most of which I can't repeat here. Just so we know, just so we're straight. Um, so. Farmers then use, you know, obviously, because Jen pointed it out, but more than one approach when it comes to um, the conventional production. So basically, my idea of it being GMO or or Roundup 
versus conventional versus organic is is incorrect as you guys said it's conventional production is it it conventional is is the umbrella under which you can have two branches that kind of branch off one being you know genetically modified or using the liberty link bt roundup ready yada 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 and the other is like your non-gmo food grade stuff right yeah is that Okay. That's my so, understanding. And, and so, Jen, like you said, you guys have grown non-GMO corn and grown so, Roundup Ready soybeans, right? Yeah. So, so farmers for years, do. So for years, we have grown Roundup Ready beans because amazing management practices. It makes growing beans so much easier and so much, you know, I, I, I'm probably going to get pulled over the rails for saying less management but it it, it was a good move uh roundup no, ready sense. beans um, you want to you want to use i mean i have guys that use roundup ready corn and food grade beans i mean one way or the other using your roundup um right. to help zap to, to help get your weeds cleaned up that you may not otherwise be able to get cleaned up <laughs> whether you're doing a non-gmo corn or a non-gmo bean with a, a roundup um roundup crop somewhere in there um, unless you're using a significant pre-emerge and Karen, stop me if I'm wrong. I'm just talking about my experience with our food grade beans. I mean, I have a lot of guys that grow or they grow food grade and roundup beans because they have certain fields that they have to get cleaned up and they, they can't do it with what I've always been taught to call conventional products. And the GMO, the herbicides and the insecticide or the insect resistant crops. I mean, it's just another tool in the toolbox that the farmers have to use and they can't rely on any one, you know, more than the other, or we're going to have issues with resistance and things like that. So it's another thing, everything in moderation and, you know, mixing up the system does a lot of good, both for the environment and for, you know, the grower, as far as what they deal with in the future within those individual fields. Which comes down to choice. I think, you know, we can't tell everyone because everyone shouldn't raise you know, non-GMO, but everyone shouldn't raise GMO. I mean, here in America, we're lucky with that we have that choice, and and basically we have the market to withstand all those choices. Um, right. Like I said, so we'll see we, more non-GMO in eastern Iowa, where they have the market going into Cedar Rapids. Right. You'll see non-GMO in soybeans in central Illinois around Bloomington because there's a market for that. But you know, in other areas, there is no market, and so. Growing the yeah. GMOs, you know, there's no reason grew, not to. We grew non-GMO corn for years. Um, there was a market around here. We had bins full of it, and we were getting paid a premium for it. Um, last year, we finally moved to GMO corn because that market was gone um, in this area. Absolutely gone. Uh, the last year that we grew them, we ended up uh, hauling most of it to an empty lot in Indianapolis, and they were being loaded. The corn was the non-GMO corn was being loaded straight onto shipping containers um, and headed to Asia. I think it was being sold through National Starch here in Indy, um, and it was being loaded onto rail containers and being shipped to Asia. Yeah. So, but but that market's gone around here. That would make sense. I, I, the the in in our from a market standpoint, at, at least for us, um, you know when when uh, the the board was high, it was almost impossible. It was very difficult for us to find growers who wanted to grow um, non GMO beans because it is a little bit uh, 
labor intensive and and you have to make sure you're you're doing different things correctly and and you know stuff like that and uh so when when the board was high it was difficult so we increased our premium and and then all of a sudden when the board collapsed and in 14 uh everyone came out of the woodwork because a a two dollar and fifty cent premium um, went from being a, a very small percentage of the crop price to being a very large percentage when we fell into 10, 11, $12 futures. Um, and now that that market is flooded. And on top of that, uh, from a cost prohibitive standpoint or a cost standpoint, our end users aren't willing to pay as much as what they were before. Um, and there's even been conversations about them transitioning over into allowing a certain amount of, of GMO products in their uh, food supply just because they, you know, cost pro. It, it, there's a certain level of demand inelasticity, it seems, when it comes to, to GMOs, at least in a from a broad market structure that we've seen. So, um, I just, at least on it, my side, it's yeah. interesting, right? It, it I mean, is it's, very it's, interesting. I mean, we said on beans full or be- beans, we said on bins full of non GMO corn for uh, months waiting for a market to come up. Um, because you know, social media, social media makes you think there's a market out there. Yeah, um, and we've got a lot of guys that grow non-traded corn. Um, they, you know, it's it's basically non-GMO corn, but they just grow it because they don't. We don't need the traits as much in Michigan. Um, we don't have some of the issues that others have had in in I states and things like that. And they'll call me and they'll say, "Hey, I've got non-GMO corn," and and we'll bin it separate or we may segregate it just to make sure. But um, there well, is yet cheaper. to be a market. Yeah, it's it's cheaper seed. Your bags of of seed are ninety, a hundred, hundred, you know, with the non traded stuff. But yeah, you, you can run into some some issues. And and like I said, the market itself really hasn't been there for a lot of my customers. And I I mean, the old market structure for us was going into Hiram Walker selling selling it into whiskey production in Canada. So that was I always mean, really you, kind yeah, of ironic. I just don't <laughs> see any reason to pay for those traits if if you don't need them. You know, if it's not prevalent in your area, why pay for those traits? Because that seed is more expensive. And it I is. don't I don't know that consumers know that either. I mean, you know, we we claim we love GMO, but we're paying more to grow it. Uh, you're pay- seed wise, yeah, you're paying for the science. I mean, I think, grow, I think consumers think you grow GMOs to make more money. They don't right. know that that costs you. You know, and it may save you money in chemical, but it doesn't save you money in seed. And and right. that's one of the you know myths that uh, I think consumers hear from from uh, people other than the actual growers. Well, and I think the one thing that's left out of the conversation, and then we're going to wrap it up for this week and and uh, continue next week on the discussion about GMO labeling, which should be fun because Jen and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum Ooh, of that one. So fight. Chick fight. there's room for all of it, you know, production wise. It's, it's what we talked about. We're not here to bash organic production. We're not here to bash GMO production or non-GMO production. You know, most farmers or a lot of farmers actually use both GMOs and, and non-GMO types of, of production on their farm. Um, but I think the one thing that's kind of left out of the conversation, and I, I really want our listeners to hear it, especially those that are on the outside of agriculture looking in, is the benefits that we can see, um, you know, in, in new crops being introduced. And that's the thing that that frustrates me more than than anything is some of this hysteria or, or um, lack of knowledge about GMOs has, has limited development. And, you know, for those of you who have not... Um, 
learned or have not educated yourself or or run into the the right group of people to discuss it, I want you to take some time and look up citrus greening and what is happening to the Florida orange crop or this Florida citrus crop right now because the the citrus greening is is caused by a bacteria that develops that kills uh, any any citrus tree. Um, it'll wipe them out completely. Uh, there's a, a lack of production and and there's some real concern that we could lose the entire Florida orange crop over it. And really? like I, yeah, this is, uh, yeah. I know nothing about this. Oh man, it's 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 the one thing to me that I think um, is just absolutely scary because it's it's a bacteria that's spread by a, a bug. So in like California right now, in order to try to prevent it, um, and I've got it in my notes that are all over the place because I am a mess, um, they are using wasps from Pakistan to try and kill these bugs that um, re- spread this disease because it's a disease. It's a bacterial disease and these bugs will land and they'll get it. And it's kind of like uh, like the Zinka virus and mosquitoes or whatever, like they'll... They'll pick it up from from one tree, land on another tree, bite into that tree, and give get it that disease. Well, a scientist has discovered that spinach has several proteins, so kind of like the BT thing, that can kill a wide variety of bacteria and fungi. And so they found a way to copy the proteins from the spinach and put it into the orange trees. And it's, oh. it's prevented the citrus greening from happening. So you said... One way without this, uh, say, this GMO product is to bring in wasps. Is that what you said? Yes, wasps from Pakistan. They're doing it in California right now. a wasp, a W-A-S-P? Yes. Okay. Like a big, mean Okay, right. So then it says to me, so we have these options. One is to bring in all of these insects, wasps that sting and... And, you know, whatever, but they'll help the green, you know, they'll help the citrus greening. But then you have this wasp problem, not to mention what else the wasps are bringing in that aren't adding. But then you have this this thing you can do with science that can solve the problem without introducing new problems. Yeah. Yeah. The other option is they can heat trees in plastic tents, but that just kills some of the bacteria. It is very much so. It just kills some of the bacteria and helps prolong the lifespan of the tree. It doesn't cure it or make it resistant to the disease. So that's just one thing. That's, you know, that's just one. Um, And another one I'd really like our listeners to to do their own education on. Yes. And before and I want to go back to that, though. So. So wonder what the cost difference is for this bringing wasps in and and. The GMO, and I'm I'm being kind of serious I'm just here. Trying to imagine who the wasp smuggler is. Like, right. who's the dude but, in charge of bringing the wasps over? But when it I think comes, they and does they, they put them in his pant pockets? Right. <laughs> oh God. You know, yeah. when it comes down to what the consumer pays, because let's oh, yeah. be honest, we have a very affordable. We we are blessed with affordability and availability of food, but. At some point in time, some of those costs do come through to the consumer, you know, 
I don't have know. to if we wipe out the Florida. I mean, if if uh, you know, and and that's where you have to figure out is where's the cost breaking standpoint come in, and and we'll get into this in next week's discussion because we're going to start to discuss labeling and she's and cutting me off people and stuff like that. I know I'm going to put her in a closet, but um, <laughs> that's what. And then the other thing I, I'd like our listeners to to pay attention to or to take a look at and, and educate themselves on is golden rice. Um, that's another one, and it's a little bit different, Karen. Right, a different process, perhaps that is more of a. Um, is that more of a Franken food? I don't want to use well, Franken food. Adding we just said it isn't, but which we you know, we fortify a lot of different things. But there's the there's the golden rice, which hasn't really had you know hasn't reached its um, total potential. But they're also working with cassava, trying to make it more beneficial, and also sorghum. So there's a couple of different uh, crops so, that they're working on to make more nutritious in third world countries where they have generally like one staple food. Oh. So I have. So the other day I was in San Antonio, at San Antonio at the Bear Forum, and I heard someone say that uh, talking about third world countries said that, and it's not a direct quote, but this is what they generally what they said. Paraphrasing: um, all third world countries know about GMOs is what they read on the internet. Oh, that just gives me chills. That. They have access to the internet. These people who are making decisions for these third world countries have access to the internet are but and are making decisions while people are starving in those countries. I'm well, just, that's it's not only starving. Um, I'm the golden rice is you know it's it basically like you said it's it's bringing vitamin A or it's biosynthesizing beta carotene basically. Um, into the rice that the the people are eating because that is their staple food or or makes up you know 80, 80 to ninety percent of what they actually intake. You know the thing that gets me is is a vitamin A deficiency kills almost seven hundred thousand children under five in our world a year. Vitamin A deficiency. But but and and but what gets me is is that these people making these decisions have access to the internet and are basing their decisions. On stuff that isn't even fact. Well, the yeah. other thing is, too, the people who are making the decision have enough food to eat. It's yeah, the people who starving. don't have enough food to eat who aren't getting to make a choice in the decision. Right. They're not having to watch their child suffer, basically, um, from that. I mean, if you give decision. someone who's starving a choice between a GMO and nothing, they're going to choose the GMO. For sure. Yeah. But they're not given that choice. They're just given the choice of nothing. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to to leave it to go into to next week to leave our conversation because it's it's uh you know if if you give someone who's starving a choice and it goes back to what i said in the beginning where if you're not if you don't have food you have one problem if you have food you have thousands of problems many of which may be made up or or the definition of a first world problem when it comes down to it so uh we are going to wrap up that this portion of our conversation um we knew this was going to be a two-parter we have a lot to say and a lot to talk about and it's a, a very heavy topic um so next week we're going to discuss uh marketing tactics labeling gmo um the, the the my favorite thing is is if we could create gmos that would reduce or eliminate calories would consumers be for it that's uh, that's the we're going to talk about it next Chris, week we're gonna Chris campbell said that he also Chris says campbell, he says he also, he also says that um those who don't understand gmos have never had to kill a giant ragweed <laughs> so with those thoughts uh gr- brilliant words from chris campbell Cam- campbell campbell 
we're like gonna leave it with that like the soup um we're gonna leave it with that uh we appreciate you guys listening this week we as always will love to hear your feedback um uh what you think about this what what uh we can do to to maybe add to the conversation as we go forward um but next week make sure you tune in again because we're really going to start to discuss the fun stuff and uh actually jen and i like i said do not agree on (laughs) one of the major topics we're going to discuss so we will talk dates Right. So we will uh, see you next week. Same time, same place. Like always, uh, have a good one.